And then, of course, August 7th, 2018, the infamous tweet, and it happened within about an hour or so of when the Financial Times reported that the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund had invested in Tesla. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 42 of the Tesla Q podcast. That could also be termed episode 420 tenths or 42.0 in honor of the one year fraudiversary of the infamous tweet from Elon Musk. As always, if you'd like to be a contributor to the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast and become a monthly contributor. There's a limited number of $1 per month subscriptions remaining. Also, if you want some merchandise, you can go to the shorty store at evacuationboy.com. I've mentioned before the shock market. The URL for that, if you'd like to see the the excellent artwork that was put together associated with that, is at redbubble.com slash people slash the shock market. That's T-H-E... S-H-O-C-K-M-A-R-K-E-T. And uh, if you like that artwork and think that you might want to purchase that entire collection, you can send me a direct message and I'll try to get you some more information about that. Also, uh, I've had an idea kicking around my head recently. So if anyone listening has any particular knowledge about writing and publishing or possibly even self-publishing a book and you want to reach out to me, my DMs on Twitter are open, uh, or you can just tweet at me and I'll try to get back to you. Uh, the recent interview episodes, uh, numbers 40 and 41 with Melaine Lukowski and Christina Ballon have gotten some some very nice reviews from people on Twitter. So i just like to say thanks for listening to those. I think both episodes did a great job of shedding light on where both of those ladies are coming from. Milena with her experience as a, a former whistleblower, Christina as her current ongoing battle with Tesla with defamation associated with whistleblowing and all that stuff. Uh, subsequent to episode 41, I see today that Christina's GoFundMe campaign is now almost fully funded, and that was thanks in large part to some big contributions today, thanks to some of the people who listened to, to that episode. And as popular as interview episodes have been, I definitely look forward to doing more in the future. But for this one, you're stuck with just me. So because today when I'm recording is August 7th, 2019, it is one year since Elon Musk tweeted his famous tweet. So I'll get get into that in just a little bit. But before that, uh, a few of the quick things that have happened this week. Before we talk about the fraud anniversary, Plainsight had done a Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act request, and that yielded 79 pages worth of documents yesterday. There was about there's apparently 400 something other pages that were not released due to confidentiality claims and such. And from that release, the biggest thing was 
the cease and desist order that was sent directly to Elon Musk from the NHTSA that was about Tesla's claims about their vehicles being the safest that the NHTSA has ever tested and all this stuff and somehow trying to differentiate amongst five-star ratings. And that letter also mentioned that the matter had been referred to the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, And then today, August 7th, 2019, Aaron Greenspan of Plain Sight got some email replies from both Elon Musk and his brother Kimball Musk about the Curacao Foundation, the Musk Foundation, and in Elon's and on Tesla Q Twitter, we've been joking for a, about a year now. I, later in the evening, I saw that apparently it was last August eighth of two thousand eighteen when Mark Spiegel was asked about the Curacao Foundation. I'm not sure if that was the initial revelation of of the Musk Foundation or not, but it's been been out there for a year. So Tesla Q Twitter has joked that Curacao has defended the price at all sorts of different levels over the last year. And in Elon's reply to, to Aaron, he even referenced Lawrence Fossey and called him F- Fossil, showing again that Elon just loves to perpetuate the conspiracy theory that big oil is somehow out to get Tesla. And there have already been tons of stories written about the Freedom of Information Act documents that have been dumped. In fact, just before I started recording this episode tonight, I see that there's apparently a USA Today article, which should be in in the print version tomorrow, that's about the very topic. Uh, I haven't seen anything yet about Elon's responses about the Curacao Foundation, but I won't be surprised if we see some of those soon. So be on the lookout for that. So now, the reason for episode number 420 tenths, or 42, if you prefer. One year ago today, Elon Musk shook the markets during the middle of the day at like 12.30 Eastern time approximately, which is like smack in the middle of the trading day. He tweeted, and I quote, am considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured, unquote. And he followed that up directly with a reply of, quote, shareholders could either to sell at 420 or hold shares and go private, unquote. And I read that exactly as Elon typed it. I think he meant could either choose to sell at 420 or hold shares and go private. And throughout that whole fiasco from Elon's side and Tesla's side, there was never a clear explanation of how all these shareholders would be able to go remain shareholders if they weren't accredited investors in the event that Tesla were to go private, which was a glaring omission and one of the many red flags that indicated to people who were paying attention that it was a completely bogus tweet, basically. Uh, Tons has been written since then. Lots of aspects of the Tesla Q saga relate directly to these tweets from August 7th, 2018, Elon, of course, had his SEC settlement in late September of 2018, and then there was the subsequent back and forth starting in February of 2019 when the SEC was seeking to find Elon in contempt of that settlement. And, of course, lots and lots of ink has been spilled about that. Ultimately, the contempt requests amounted to almost nothing other than a couple court dates, and there have been other several other recent anniversaries that haven't haven't been brought up the way that this one has so i figured this was one that 
demanded that an episode be done. And lucky me, it happens to be episode number 42. So it matches perfectly mathematically. So here it is. I'm going to just go back in time a little bit and and mention some of my history with getting into Tesla Q and some of the things that helped push me further and further into Tesla Q, culminating with the funding secured tweet, of course. So my my own personal opinion of Elon Musk was not not fully negative and as of the calendar turning from 2017 to 2018. I still had a fairly high opinion of Elon Musk. The boring company had been announced. I didn't didn't really have any strong opinion about it. I hadn't dug into the financials of the Solar City acquisition. I was I was aware that Tesla maybe didn't seem to be the best business model, but its share price had had definitely risen a ton. And as of that time, I had already started to do some options trading. I was very familiar with call options and put options as part of my own self-directed investing. And I'd actually had a few really lucky instances of having some call options over earnings that exceeded expected moves. And I made a nice overnight large gain on some call options. So from that, I had had begun to pay quite a bit more attention to when companies were announcing earnings. So as part of that, I followed Tesla a little bit. Uh, I maintained kind of an awareness of Tesla's share price. And then in February of 2018, I was aware of when Tesla's financial results were going to be released. And it just so happened to be within a day of the very first ever Falcon Heavy launch for SpaceX. And most of you listening are probably familiar, but if you're not, the Falcon Heavy is basically three Falcon 9 cores strapped together. So a Falcon 9 has nine engines. A Falcon Heavy has 27 engines for its first stage. And one of the one of the legitimately really cool visual aspects of a Falcon Heavy launch is when the, the side boosters land in sync that it it provides for some great photo ops and oddly enough the center core of the falcon heavy for each of the three first launches they've had they've had issues with either not landing it on the drone ship or landing it and then later there were some high high winds at sea and they lost it so they've yet to fully recover a center core of a falcon heavy launch but back to Tesla, so I noticed, and I was fully aware that Elon Musk is the CEO of both Tesla and SpaceX, so I noticed the coinciding dates, and then as part of the Falcon Heavy launch, they launched a Tesla Roadster into space. So in my head, I thought, maybe they're just, maybe Elon's trying to distract from the poor financial results of Tesla by having this historic initial Falcon Heavy launch the day before the financials were released. And as part of that launch, he basically produced one of the, the most astounding, incredible automobile commercials of all time by having this Roadster floating through space, which was a very, very expensive commercial. But, but Tesla doesn't advertise. Don't, don't forget that. Tesla doesn't advertise, except that was quite clearly 
an advertisement. So anyway, the, the timing struck me as odd. So that caused me to start paying more and more attention to Tesla. And lot, not too long after that, in late March of 2018, Moody's downgraded Tesla's credit rating. And that caused Tesla's share price to drop quite a bit. I think it had been it had been over 300 and it dropped down to like right around 250. I don't remember the exact place it dropped to because I was not yet following Tesla in a hawk-like manner like I am today. But seeing that price drop made me think, oh, I should, I should pay a little bit more attention to Tesla. And a big aspect or maybe the main aspect of that credit rating drop was that Tesla had not yet hit 5,000 Model 3s per week of production. So missing that target was the key reason for the Moody's downgrade. And subsequent to that, that 5,000 number was in the news over and over and over and also into my consciousness. And then on April 1st, just a few days later, Elon tweeted the picture of himself pretending to be passed out and he had a, a piece of cardboard that said bankrupt next to his head. And if you'll remember from when I interviewed Bloodsport Capital on the podcast, he mentioned that this April Fool's joke that Elon made was part of what raised a, a red flag for Bloodsport and caused him to think, wait a second, what, what kind of CEO jokes about going bankrupt? That's not a usual thing at all. So yet another red flag, which caused me to start paying more attention. On May 2nd, 2018, Elon had the infamous financial results quarterly conference call where he said, no boring bonehead questions and let's go to YouTube and ended up asking some or answering some questions from Galileo Russell. I didn't actually listen to that, but the absurdity of it was all over financial news the next few days and again, raised a red flag for me. And I don't have any specific date for this. But uh, one, one thing that I always maintained a skepticism about Tesla in regards to was that they claimed to be so far ahead in autonomous driving, which I didn't, didn't fully believe off the, off the cuff, just because, why would I believe it off the cuff? I have actually followed NVIDIA, the uh, computer chip manufacturer for a long time, uh, graphic processing unit chips is, is what they specialize in. And I was aware of the fact that they have hundreds of different partnerships in the automotive space working on the problem of autonomous driving. So Tesla claimed to be far ahead of them. And that made me think, I don't know if that's the case or not. And also going back a number of years, I've had a bit of a skepticism about the economics of solar power as an electricity source, absent of subsidies. So that has caused me to have an underlying skepticism of Elon Musk for quite some time. Another thing which I don't have a particular date for, but I'm pretty sure it was in the spring of 2018, was when Elon Musk said that moats are lame, and he suggested that he was going to start a candy company to compete with Warren Buffett, since Warren Buffett talks about moats often. I think he may have actually, they might have actually been in that same conference call where he answered questions from Galileo Russell, but I'm not certain of that. In mid-June of 2018, Tesla had a round of layoffs right before they were about to hit the 5,000 per week target for the Model 3. So this raised a red flag in my head. Just uh, like a day or so later, the Martin Tripp story started coming out. 
And immediately after the Martin Tripp stories were out, Elon Musk attacked Lynette Lopez of Business Insider on Twitter and accused her of working with Jim Chanos and mentioned things that people had been looking up on her Facebook page. Or I don't know if he directly looked them up or if some of the Tesla fans had looked them up and passed them along to him. But either way, he attacked her directly on Twitter, which struck me as very odd for a CEO of a company to attack a reporter. So as many people have said, and I've heard many times subsequent to this, when a CEO attacks short sellers, it rings a dinner bell, but also a CEO attacking reporters who are reporting facts also rings a dinner bell for short sellers. From all the media coverage about the 5,000 per week production level for the Model 3, I paid very close attention on June 30th and July 1st of 2018, when Elon declared victory on that, um, I, I think they may have actually had to work until t- 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning that week to get to 5,000 for the week, but that's that's another story. And uh, uh, later we found out that of the production that week, there was only about 14% first pass quality, so that's not good, needless to say. Go back and listen to the interview with Phoenix 10 if you want some more information about automobile production and quality metrics and things like that. And uh, another thing, which probably hasn't been talked about a whole lot, is that Tesla actually did a very good job strategically of not hitting their 200,000th vehicle produced before June 30th. They actually hit it really early in July, which helped to maximize the amount of time that the United States federal income tax credit for electric vehicles would be available for Tesla vehicles that were sold. So all of quarter three and quarter four of 2018 had the full $7,500 tax credit available. Quarter one and quarter two of 2019 had $3,750 available. And now July 1st through the end of the year, there's $1,875 available. And then at the end of of this year, and when 2020 starts, no more federal income tax credit for electric vehicle sales of Teslas. There are other manufacturers who do still have the full $7,500 available, which is quite a disadvantage for Tesla going forward. And is something to keep in mind with the whole demand question that isn't really a question in my mind. It's just the fact of life of price being a key determinant of demand. Demand is dependent on price, period. Uh, It's not really up for debate. It just is the way that the world works due to logic and human nature. But uh, having watched closely when Tesla hit their 5,000 per week production level, I saw that the share price initially rose on the morning of Monday, July the 2nd, 2018. But by about 10.30 a.m. that day, it started declining, and it kept declining, and kept declining, and kept declining, all the way into July 5th, after the market was closed on the 4th for the July 4th holiday. And my brain thought, lo and behold, the market is being rational. They're actually thinking about profitability and profits and not laser focused on this 5,000 per week production number, which is sounds like sounded at the time like it was all that Elon Musk was focused on for months on end. And based on that Moody's downgrade, that's that's not surprising. I guess 
to some extent, he had to meet that production level. Um, also, there's the Wacos lawsuit, which apparently had testimony from people who were directly working next to Elon Musk, who told him directly that 5000 per week by the end of 2017 was not possible. But that's what they raised capital on. I don't know if that lawsuit is still underway or not. I think it has been dismissed at least once or twice. Uh, I'm not sure if it's fully dead, but as part of trying to, to cover his liability for the 5,000 per week claim, Elon desperately needed to meet that production level. So from that angle, I understand why he was so laser focused on it. But me seeing that the market finally realized, oh, they hit this 5,000 per week. Now what? Now it's profitability that matters. So that caused me to, to start following Tesla much more closely. I kind of felt like I'd missed an opportunity by, by missing out on that particular drop. Of course, little did I know how many more opportunities for drops there would be in the future. Another item of skepticism that I already held at that time was whether Tesla could profitably produce and sell a $35,000 Model 3, which that number, of course, had been bandied about all over the place by that point. So that skepticism aided me in desiring to continue following Tesla more and more closely. On July 6th of 2018, which was a Friday, I think, Elon proposed aiding in the Thai cave rescue. Uh, if you'll remember, there was a soccer team in Thailand where the coach took his team out on a hike, and then there was some massive rainfall, and they were trapped in this cave. They ended up being trapped for 10, day, 10 or 11 days, or maybe, maybe even longer than that. But uh, Elon suggested that he might be able to use some SpaceX knowledge and resources and develop a submarine to help try to rescue the, the kids from the cave. Uh, at the time, I remember in real time that there were a number of people that were questioning his motive, Elon's motives for that and questioning that maybe he was just trying to, to get some personal glory out of the whole matter. And that was called out in advance. Uh, another aspect of that is the fact that at the same time, Elon had a, a trip to China, which was already planned in advance. And I, I presume it was probably to talk about the, the Shanghai Gigafactory. Not 100% certain of that at all. But he did already have this trip to China planned. So Thailand is right next to China. So he may have just seen it as a convenient way to, to try to get some goodwill for his, his brand couple days later, on July 11th, Martin Tripp officially filed his SEC whistleblower case. So I'm not 100% certain on that date, but it was right around then. On July 11th, Elon Musk offered to help with the Flint, Michigan water issues. Again, how much of that was true altruism versus attempting to brandish his image? I don't know. Elon is probably the only one who fully knows the answer to that question. So I'll, I'll leave that to whatever conscience he might have left to, to answer. On July 13th, there was a, a Bloomberg interview with Elon Musk where he said that the Model 3 would be the last bet the company situation for Tesla, which I think has been proven false subsequent to that. My current opinion is that the full self-driving technology is the current bet the company proposition for Tesla. And I 
have serious, serious doubts that they will succeed with that aspect. So that's why I have a, a, a Tesla short position right now. On July 14th, 2018, which was a Saturday, there was news out that Elon had donated to a GOP-related political action committee. I'm not sure if that was just a regular pack or a super pack, but there was tons of, of coverage of that on this Saturday, July 14th, and it was it seemed to be causing a lot of cognitive dissonance amongst the Tesla faithful. And who knows? That may have may have caused Elon to lash out the following morning, which was July 15th, when the infamous pedo tweet came out, um, which, granted, it was subsequent to when Vern Unsworth was videotaped on, I think, CNN International or something, saying that the submarine would not have worked to rescue the kids and that Elon could shove it, stick it where it hurts or something to that effect. And so... How much of it was just Elon replying back versus maybe a, a small tinge of trying to deflect some of this publicity about Elon's GOP-related political contribution? I don't know. It's hard to say. But July 15th is when that, that tweet came down from, from Elon. I believe December of 2019 this year is when the court date is currently scheduled for the defamation lawsuit. And uh, Mr. Linwood, the lawyer, apparently doesn't lose. So, Elon, you might want to start writing that uh, those seven zeros on that check for Mr. Unsworth. The very next day, Monday, July 16th, 2018, was when the Monroe and Associates teardown of a Model 3 was released. And this was a, a video, I think it was something like 40 minutes long on YouTube. And in that video, Sandy Monroe estimated that there would be an 18% gross margin on the $35,000 Model 3 and a 30% gross margin on some of the higher trim levels of the Model 3. And this 30% gross margin number was a headline number that got touted by many, many, many Tesla bulls. And uh, a key part of that analysis was that Mr. Monroe assumed that Tesla had normal levels of overhead and labor costs and efficiencies of manufacturing and that that type of thing. This uh, this item hasn't gotten a whole lot of look recently. Uh, I don't I I can't think of anybody that's talked about it in recent times actually. But thirty percent gross margin on the Model Threes. Think about that number in light of the quarter two record deliveries of ninety five thousand two hundred vehicles where Tesla had a gross margin of like 17.2% when you take out the uh, all the different tax credits, the GHG credits and the ZEV credits. So 17.2% is quite a bit lower than 30%. And this is a full year later and in a record quarter when far more vehicles could have the, the fixed costs spread across them. Another item that happened the same day, July 16th, was episode number 50 of the QTR podcast, the Quote the Raven podcast. And that was a debate between Galileo Russell and Montana Skeptic, who you're probably familiar with. Galileo Russell being the let's go to YouTube kid, and Montana Skeptic, of course, being the guy who was doxxed. 
exactly one week later on July the 23rd. So did this episode of the QTR podcast get listened to by Elon Musk? And was this part of why he doxed him and called his boss and said, hey, have this guy stop writing on Seeking Alpha and stop tweeting? I don't know. But it was one week later. So the timing makes it seem like a possibility that that podcast appearance may have been part of of the timing of when he was doxxed. Uh, in mid-July, there was uh, this, the second Shorty Air Force run, which went to the Lathrop lot. So me seeing that helped raise my interest in following Tesla. Uh, there, I think the very first run of the Shorty Air Force was in June of 2018. I actually saw from The Froth on Twitter, uh, whoever runs that account, they put together all of Machine Planet's Tesla-related sorties as part of the shorty air force so if you want to find that you can look up my feed and find the froth and I, I retweeted it just a little bit before i recorded this episode on august 1st of 2018 tesla had their quarterly results and on that call elon said that tesla would be profitable and cash flow positive for all subsequent quarters basically so from quarter in that second quarter of 2018 call, he said that for quarter three of 2018 and forward into the future, that Tesla would be profitable and cash flow positive. And he said that they didn't need to raise capital. And he mentioned the term force majeure many, many times during that, that conference call. And if I'm not mistaken, during that call, he apologized for being so immature on the quarter one call back in May of 2018. And at the instant when he apologized, Tesla's share price had a nice bump upward. So way to go, Tesla. And then, of course, August 7th, 2018, the infamous tweet, and it happened within about an hour or so of when the Financial Times reported that the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund had invested in Tesla which was an open market purchase. It was not a direct purchase from Tesla, which would have helped provide cash to Tesla for their operations or whatever they needed cash, might have needed cash for. But no, Elon declined their offer to buy shares directly, so they had to go on the open market. And when this was revealed in the Financial Times, something like an hour later, Elon made his infamous tweet saying, thinking about taking Tesla private at $420 funding secured. So why did Elon make that tweet when he did? I don't know. Not sure exactly how it was really related to the news that the Saudis had invested in Tesla. I do think there is likely some relation between the timing there. Um, and one other, other thing to keep in mind, since I'm talking about the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, is that they hedged their Tesla position on January 17th, 2009, literally less than a day before Tesla made an announcement that they were laying off 7% of their workforce, which came in the wee hours of January 18th, 2019, and caused the share price to drop from a close on January 17th of 347.31 to a close on January 18th of 302.26, which is a drop of more than $45 in a single day if I'm not mistaken, that's the largest single-day drop of Tesla's shares, maybe ever. I'm pretty sure within the last seven or five or six years or so, 
Um, also of note, the volume of shares of Tesla that were traded on January 17th, 2019 was 3.66 million shares. And the very next day, Friday, January 18th, 2019, there were 24 million shares of Tesla traded. So more than seven times, or right, right around seven times the number of shares were traded the day after that news came out. Right after the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund hedged their Tesla position. The timing seemed extremely shady to me. I have no idea if there were shenanigans or illegal insider knowledge associated with the Saudis setting up their hedge, but they're a sovereign country and I don't see the United States Securities and Exchange Commission pursuing any kind of uh, legal recourse against the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund uh, due to politics of all sorts of sorts. Um, but, but back to the, the topic of volume, today, August 7th, 2019, there were 4.78 million shares of Tesla traded. And that's actually the lowest level since July 18th, about three weeks ago, when there were 4.76 million shares traded. So basically the exact same number. And to find the next most recent lower volume day, you have to go all the way back to Tuesday, February 19th, when there were 4.12 million shares traded. And before that, on February 15th, there was 3.89 million shares traded. So those two days were the Friday before and the Tuesday after the President's Day weekend. So my guess is that a lot of a lot of Wall Street probably took that long weekend as a vacation, probably went skiing somewhere nice. And there's by no means any certainty to any future events. But in the past, as evidenced particularly by that uh, January 17th and 18th volumes, really low volume has come right in advance of negative news dropping. So who knows what's going to happen in the future? And don't take that as trading advice, but do be aware of, of that past sort of pattern. Not really a pattern, but it has happened in the past. So today's low volume, who knows what's going to happen in the near future? We'll see. So I think that's probably enough talking from me for today about the retrospective aspects of Tesla Q Twitter and how I got so deep down the rabbit hole. And there were other things that happened after August 7th, 2019, but I'm going to stop there because it's the fraud anniversary, baby. I don't yet know if the next episode is going to be an interview or just me talking about some new news item with Tesla, but we'll see. Uh, and programming note, the week of August 19th through 23rd, I don't anticipate recording any new episodes, but hopefully I will have one or two new ones between now and then, maybe even three, but don't count on it. Uh, I do I do have other things to do in life, like mow the yard and weed eat and stuff, and work, I guess. But that's going to wrap it up for this 420th episode of the Tesla Q podcast, which could also be known as the 42nd episode. And as always, if you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast. And if you'd like some shorty merchandise, go to evacuationboy.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.